Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. This podcast is all about talking about race and diversity and everything in between, all to empower a more empathetic Aotearoa. We also invite Kiwis to come onto the podcast and share their stories so we can all learn a little bit about each other. So today we have a really, really special guest, a Dunedin legend. Um, I would like to welcome Uncle Mac. Woo! Kia ora. Kia ora to whanui, whanui. Welcome to everybody. Thanks for having me on your show. This is awesome. No, thank you for coming on. It's honestly such a pleasure. Well, um, it's an honour. So where are you from? Where's home for you? Um, well, my, my birth family were living here and they're from Ireland on my mother's side and grew up in Ravensbourne. And my dad's family was from the Kingdom of Fife. We were very keen to say we're not just Scots, but we're from the Kingdom of Fife, and that's obviously in Scotland. And he grew up in Roslyn, and that side of town. Oh, just over the hill? Just over the hill. So you're a Dunedin local? Yeah, 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 yeah. I wasn't born here, actually. I was born in Ōtautahi, and then I was brought up in the far north. So I've lived all over the Motu. Oh, wow. Yeah, you really have gone everywhere. And then you went to Christchurch for studies, so you spent a wee while there. Until I was invited to leave, and then I came back here. What do you mean by invited to leave? So at the end of the first year of law school, I'd managed to get direct entry into law school. And at the end of the first year of law school, the dean of law walked into – we used to have um, terms, not semesters. So in the third term, he walked in in front of everybody and said, Mr. Gawley, straight Fs are not fantastic. They mean you've failed to sit any of my exams. And your your approach – at the moment, would suggest to me that you're going to do the same next year, in which case you'll be excluded from the university. This was in a time when we had to pass two papers every two years to stay at university. So we only had to pay, that's right. Only two, two papers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much, much, much more relaxed. So, <clears throat> and this is pre, pre, uh, pre-running water and electricity, obviously. So I had a pilot's license and I flew to Dunedin the following day and re-enrolled. And I was actually attending lectures before my academic record caught up because in those days it had to come by mail. Oh, wow. There was no computer contact. And the dean, Sims, walked in and said in front of everybody, Mr. Gawley, my colleague at Canterbury, tells me that he thinks that you're probably reasonably bright but have no discipline. (laughs) F at Otago is not for for failure. F, in your case, means Fridays when you and I will have a cup of tea and discuss your your (laughs) progress. So the rest is history. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, So after coming back from Christchurch, what did you do in Dunedin? Uh, so my a really good friend of mine, a good friend of mine, had just completed his degree and his first undergraduate degree, and we convinced everybody that we were going to set up a coffee house. So we hitched down to Dunedin. We'd borrowed a couple of suits, so we looked like a couple of Mormons out on the street, looking like we were trying to hitch. I got bored with hitching, so lay on the ground until somebody stopped to pick us up and got brought down here. We had five dollars, and yeah, we set up the Governor's Coffee House opposite Knox Church. So, um, and it's for those of you who aren't from Dunedin, it's still a ha- very happening cafe yeah. now, and it's so so cool. I ha- like didn't know until recently that you set it up, and you're still well, here in Dunedin, Andrew which is I. cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, how have you gone from cafe to being president of the multi ethnic council? I guess, well, it was it was always inevitable, really. Um, being being in New Zealand, we've always been migrant people. 
and and working with community has always been something that I've always done. My family always did it. I got whangai into the north, so I got brought up amongst iwi, and so that manaakitanga is something that we know as New Zealanders. It, I think, sets us apart. So, you know, in, in Dunedin, people say that we're friendly. I gave a lecture yesterday at Toitu Museum and was saying to those people that Dunedin people, I believe that the reason Dunedin people are friendly is that when people come here, they go, oh, you're so friendly. So, of course, we're friendly. <laughs> and if, we, if, if people are saying, oh, you're all ugly and you don't talk to each other, then we'd stop talking to each other. So I think the, the work that I'm doing now with the multi-ethnic council was inevitable, really. The people who brought me up... Um, our communities were were much were diverse. Even so, back then, yeah. So you know, when the first uh, European turn up here, they come with Chinese, they come with Indian, um, <clears throat> and after all, there'd already been a hundred plus years of contact. So those ships were coming from all over the world. You know, the, the, of course, the way our history is taught to us, it sounds like they all came out of um, the Thames in England. Mm, yeah, that is yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. but in, in reality, they would have been traders from the whole the whole globe were coming here. And if you look at the the shipping records of who were coming into into uh, Bay of Islands, yeah, they were coming from everywhere. So it's true. No yeah. one really talks about how everyone talks about how New Zealand's such a melting, um, you know, melting pot now. But yeah. there actually has been everyone always. comes from somewhere, and it's always That's been right. like that. But yeah. it just hasn't been recognised. Yeah. What was it like? Back then, if you don't mind me asking, were people very much? You're like, talking about in the 1800s or more? Oh, more when, when you were growing up. Sorry, I made it seem I like know. you're an old <clears throat> ancient man. You've That's just right. stood here. Well, since. I sometimes tell my students I can remember when we first put water into the <laughs> into the Dunedin Harbour and we had dug out that that harbour and I had to go inland to get water, etc. But no, um, so it was it was a very we were we were lucky in that uh, we didn't have instant media. So I, by the, so I think the world was just as in much conflict as it is today. The difference is that by the time we heard about some big earthquake or some terrorist attack or something else, it was probably a week old. Mm. And maybe not so much – radio would have had it. But by the time we got to the newspaper, it had been through Reuters. It had been uh, filtered and then the story was much, much – yeah. And also more local news was much, much more important. So what was happening in Invercargill or happening in Ekoratuna or wherever, wherever, these, these were stories that mattered. And who was in my street mattered. So when I grew up, everybody in the street who was old enough mm. were my grandparents. So I had lots and lots of grandparents. All of the others were uncles and aunties. Everybody was kind of cousins or whatever, and we were in and out of each other's homes. And people, people settled. Right? So, so the idea of going on an aeroplane was so so important or, or going into town we had to put clean clothes on to go into town you know, we, we had to put, we're just going yeah. in our pajamas that's now. right yeah that's right and and we use airplanes today like people use cars people people go around the world for a weekend they go over to to some concert or something not everybody but people do that, that's, <laughs> that's literally actually. what i did this weekend Dang. where did you go <laughs> i went to melbourne melbourne yeah. for the weekend just for the weekend yeah unheard of Absolutely, in my, in, you know, in my time, unheard of. And Melbourne was a, a long way away. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't simply. What was it for you? Three and a half hour flight. Yep, it was really, really short. Yeah. So in a when in a fixed wing turboprop aeroplane, which would have been modern in its time, it would have been a seven hour trip. 
each way and and it would have been rumpy and bumpy because you wouldn't have climbed up amongst the weather mm, so very very true. different and i grew up when there were still steam trains i grew oh, up gosh. when carrying a 22 rifle i could go around rabbiting on the hills and go shooting rabbits and if we did that today um of course you'd have helicopters and armed defender squad and my parents would get arrested for not being good parents and i'd be taken and put into care yeah. Mm. My mother and father, when they first got married, went and lived in central Otago at a soul charge school. It had four, sorry, five, five pupils, two of them were. Soul charge school? What yeah. is that? So that was, <clears throat> they used to have what they called um, country service. So he taught in a little school that had five students. And two of them were my older brothers, so he was actually teaching three. Yeah, <laughs> three of his own. Yeah, and and to make extra money, they used to shoot rabbits, and they tell a story about how they used to after school they would sit in the in the kitchen and shoot rabbits out the out the window on the school playground. Now, if that was happening today, <laughs> it would be international news. So the world was very, very, very different, and there was so much work. I can remember my first job. Um, I worked for for Empire Rubber, and at morning tea I decided I didn't really like the job. So I went off and went to Scalarup, and I realised that lunchtime actually the other job was better, so I went back there. I didn't tell the employers in either place that I was leaving, and then when I went back t- in the afternoon when we were going off the job, my supervisor came over and she said to me, I know you're at school, but when you leave you have to let me know so I can cover for you. Because it was more, and the same at graduation, when I was graduating, the employers turned up to take us out for meals, hoping we would come in and and accept their offers of of employment. It's so different to what it is is like now. So from what I've picked up, it sounds like it didn't really matter where you were from, if you were part of... If you're part of the community, that's it. You just all live and work pretty together, much. and pretty much, pretty much, yeah. There was <clears throat> there was racism, definitely. I can remember when I first, my brother and I first went to Wellington. Um, I had to go and apply for rent because there was a sign on the house that said no Maoris to apply. Yeah, so that was in when was in, that in the seventies, early seventies, and yeah. that was just openly stated and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there was some pretty ugly stuff still around. Hey. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I was just reading about um, Tamariki. Oh, I forgot the name Tamariki Oranga, but how they're uplifting um, kids yeah. from Maori yeah, yeah, families. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's still happening. Eh? My my Fangai mum would never work for for sis because she said if she did that, she would be limited in what she was able to do. And and I mean, she was one of the ones who established the Koroa Aroha in the far north. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it still exists. But the thing, I think the thing, the difference is now is that we are very, very conscious of it. And where we have the opportunity, and, and this is really important for the New National Council, is that we have an opportunity of, of recognising that we are diverse, diversely ethnic, and that we have an opportunity to have an inclusive culture. So it, <clears throat> I get the idea of multiculture, but there is a culture right now in, in the studio. There's a culture when I'm driving a car. There's a culture when I'm with my mates playing sport. But our ethnicity doesn't change. And you know, on the marae, where we are from, our whakapapa is so important. Yeah? And, then, and then, of course, with our ethnicity, it doesn't matter. Every marae has a different tikana and kawa. Yeah? So when somebody, one of the things my uncles were used to say if they were coming to a marae, they'd say to me, hey, boy, what's a kawa here? You know, what are, how is the procedure going to be here? 
because it would be different. Mm. And so the same with us. So the, the cool thing about it when we recognize the value of our ethnicity, when we come together, somebody made the point the other day, it's a little bit like a salad. Yeah, you, you, A salad is beautiful because it has so many different components to it. But you don't want to be mixing it up with a roast at the same time. Nor do you want to be putting it in a blender so then it's all the same. Mm. But, but, uh, but, uh, but the salad works because it's inclusiveness of its diversity. Not that it's because if it was all about its diversity, then it wouldn't be a salad. It would just be a big mess on the floor or on the table or wherever. But of yeah. course, I'm Homer Simpson, so I did anyway. <laughs> yeah, my dream. Oh, uh, that's actually a really, really good way to think about how does diversity work in in a yeah. community. And 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 also one of the things that I've got out of working within um, our Dunedin multi ethnic council is that. Sometimes I get questioned when I go to the mustard, when I go to the mosque or churches or wherever else, and people see me wearing a rainbow ribbon. You know? And I had it in Wellington recently. Somebody said, oh, you know, Uncle, why are you wearing a, a rainbow ribbon? Do you know what that means? And I said, yes, I know what it means. What do you think it means? And they went, oh, you know, it's that, 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 it's that. And they couldn't say the word. And I said, so let's, let's have a look at it. First time we hear about the rainbow in terms of some significance is in Scripture when God promises to, that he won't go and drown the world again. So he makes a rainbow, yeah. And then the next time I heard of it in significance is, is when the president of South Africa said, we are a rainbow nation. Now, he wasn't saying that everybody in, in South Africa had suddenly become gay. He was acknowledging the diversity of the people. And then, yes, of course, it also has the context of, of people's um, preference and sexuality, but then again, you know, if, I, if I'm saying that I'm following God and I believe that God created everything and for a purpose, then that relationship exists with God. And then the, the real kicker for me was that at the same time my nephew was making me a, a cup of, of tea. He had the tea bags from back home in Saudi and he also had the milk from Saudi. So what do you think is on the can of milk from Saudi? A rainbow. So I had to ask my nephew, is this now gay milk we're drinking? Mm, what was his response, actually? Oh, Uncle, you know, you're just too old to understand. <laughs> Which is cool. Just brushing off the old yeah, people yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I know he loves me. Right? And that's the point, isn't it? Is that in, in our diversity, and that's why I think Dunedin is so unique and so special. 43 years ago, when I stood in front of my first lecture theatre, if we took a picture of 100, 95 of the students would look like me. Three of them were Chinese-Malaysian. They were the first Chinese students to really come to New Zealand. One would have been from Africa on a Colombo plane. And occasionally there was a Polynesian Māori looking a little bit shy in the house. Today I take a picture of 100. I've got the United Nations in front of me. And I've got half a dozen, dozen Māori Polynesians sitting there saying, well, we already own the place anyway. So such an opportunity. Where is the celebration of that? Where is the, the loud noise of that faith, hope and love? And I think that that is where the real kicker is now. That's where the real driver. What an opportunity! Mm. Yeah. How and and and, and if you look at, at at that United Nations, take the people out of the context of Dunedin and put them back in their own country. Sometimes they're looking at each other suspiciously across the border. But if I really want to make sure that they're close, I have to make sure that the homework or the home play is even more difficult. So they get together in a study group and mix it up. Hey. Eh? Mm, forcing them to interact I Well suppose. just yeah. yeah Introducing them into And then they discover Actually they kind of Like each other's kai And the, and the music And the sounds And hey 
Yeah, that, yeah, that's how it all yeah. comes together. Yeah, I think that food is always a really num- one. number one way to explore other people's cultures. Yeah. Um, just going back to the conversation you had with your nephew, that kind of just triggered my thought process. Um, how do we have a like? Do you think what do you think the relationship between diversity and acceptance is? Do you think that everyone has to accept each other's views to be able to still celebrate the diversity no. um, we have? No, no. So how do we? No. If I if I think in my own family, in my in in the kids and and my siblings and the old people around, do we all agree with each other? No. Nana always used to say, you get the whānau together, there'll be a whawhai, you better put the jug on, so even after the argument you can still drink a cup of tea in silence and know you love each other. Yeah? I don't, we, we don't, the last thing we need is to agree with each other all mm. the time. Then there'll be no diversity. Yeah, there'll be no challenge. And in this dunya, you know, in this world, this is a world of challenge. Of all the places that God could have created, he chose to create this place, and for some reason or other he blessed me by sending him, sending me here when he knows that I'm a really lazy, hungry person, just wants to sit around and do nothing but eat every day and, and do nothing. And instead he sends me to the most challenging place that I can comprehend. Eh? And, and, and I like to think that I work, in, you know, I work from the Peace Embassy and, and we have an open, multi-ethnic interfaith um, house. And, and that's just full of challenges. But what an awesome reason to get up in the morning. For people who don't know what the Peace Embassy is, because I think it's a really cool um, house and, and idea behind that house, um, how would you describe the Peace Embassy? So the Peace Embassy is the end of of my work. <clears throat> so it's it's owned by two companies, which had previously been societies and trusts, um, the Aotearoa New Zealand Limited, which had been a society, and then New Zealand Education Foundation, which had been a trust. And so the intention is to demonstrate that, because I work as an environmental social architecture, which is a polite way of saying trying to interfere with your future. (laughs) And so the intention is to show that people of diverse backgrounds, in terms of their ethnicity and also their faith or lack of faith, can live in community and get through the difficulties and the challenges that come. And that doesn't always mean that uh, it ends up happily. But we always say how we close the door is how we open the new door. Mm. And so it becomes extremely important for us to find a way when we're moving in or moving out to how do we do that with dignity? Even if I'm annoyed and angry and I don't love anybody anymore, for my next door, I need to be able to make sure that I live in a way that doesn't leave me now carrying my baggage into the next place. And I can only do that if I leave it clean with the people where I'm going from or mm-hmm. where I'm coming into. And so this this project, I think, is a seven-year project. We're into year three. And when we first moved into the house, it was known as Birdwatch. It was... Um, it was a really, like, gross student oh, yeah, flat, it was wasn't super, it? I remember super gross. that. Three and a half grand was the last bill for tidying the place up before anyone could move in. The front windows used to end up on the front lawn, mostly within a couple of weeks, and the, the section next to it, of course, was just a rubber strip where people thought it was all right to go and urinate, throw up, and leave their rubbish and whatever, whatever. And so now we took that and we've turned that into a peace garden, and people go in there and help look after it, or they just go in there and enjoy it. And occasionally it takes a hit, the same as the house, it takes a hit. But overall, because the kaupapa is so cool, the inevitability of its success is, is there. And for my part, um, now, 
is about passing it over to you fellas. So the ownership of the company is now starting in this month. We are calling for um, for, for expressions of interest so that in, in June 2020, the companies will no longer belong to me, but you fellas will be running them and, and um, I'll better go and sail off out into the <laughs> desert or into the ocean or whatever, whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah, because rumour is that I can't take anything with me anyway, can I? And I want True. to enjoy seeing it being used. Yeah. It's really nice. I haven't directly interacted with the house before, but it's just been really nice observing from the outside and seeing it grow over the past couple of years. Yeah. And I'm sure that over the next couple of years, it will just keep on growing and mm. growing. But no, it's a beautiful thing that you started. Well, we started. Hey, you know, I, I, I feel very fortunate to be part of it, but the influence of it is much, much wider than me. And it's a good town and gown example too, eh? And I love the fact that university is no longer able to fire me. I'm far too old for that sort of stuff. And I live <laughs> across the road, so <clears throat> I can wander over and hassle them and wander into the city and hassle the city, hopefully with hugs and love. Now. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're just talking about the city. You're a very well-known figure in the city. Yeah. And um, when the Christchurch incident happened, you were one of the many figures that kind of stood up um, and really said the right things that we all needed to hear as a community at that time. And, And now that time has passed, how do you feel about that incident now? Uh, I I think, so the work that we'd been doing with Interfaith and with um, Multi-Ethnic Council for many years, we'd been saying we are going to get challenged, the inevitability of getting challenged. And I think that what we learned out of that has given us the opportunity to now build on an exciting future. And it has to be a new paradigm, right? And so how do we go into that new space where we actually show faith, have, faith, hope and love and care for one another, that, that idea of manaakitanga, yeah? So <clears throat> growing up in the 60s, we thought peace was smoking dope and eating brown rice. In the 80s, we imagined it was being totally immoral and sleeping with anything and everything and doing whatever we wanted. And in 2000, we said it was the absence of war, and clearly it's not any of those things. Peace is about a relationship with each other, manaakitanga, our ability to, to host the visitor and be hosted. Yeah, so so <clears throat> we can only ever meet for one of two reasons, for good or for evil. And you mm-hmm. can't mix oil and water, and you can't kind of have a good evil moment or an evilly good moment. It's got to be very clear. And <clears throat> again, it comes back to that concept about how New Zealand can finally be seen by the world to take its place in the world and show a way. You know, there are prophets that, uh, like Kawati and Rua and others who talked about the time would come when the rest of the world would come to find out what is peace. Yeah, when this this time would happen, and and so now my sense is, um, <clears throat> out of that that was really like the birthing of the new millennium for me. And this is my own fakaro for this. It was like that, and like any birthing, at the moment the baby is so so fragile. We have to be careful we don't suffocate it. And mum is still hurting. How often, you know, do we end up in a situation where we're actually still listening to somebody saying, oh, I'm really sorry it ever happened, and, and, and they're meaning it. So we still have to be able to listen to mum getting through that time. But at the same time, we need to gently nurture that and say, that's now history. You know, mm-hmm. people at the time said, oh, it's the worst thing that ever happened in New Zealand. Well, actually, it's not. And then they would say, oh, well, those are things that are history. This is already history. So the question is now, what do we want to celebrate? How do we do things differently? In my time, it was always about protest and demanding the change. 
and 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 you, that works so long as you can keep the demand up. But if you can inspire people and celebrate what it is that you want, then you don't have to be around for them to happen. Yeah, and so <clears throat> my sense is that, and and we've got a meeting coming up this week with the uh, with the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council, in which my my sense is that we need to put our old strategy aside. It worked pre uh, the fifteenth, mm. but now we are in a different time, and we need to look at how we're going to work with one another. Things that would have wound me up a month ago, I have no time or interest in them, because how many more breaths am I going to draw? And as I said to you earlier, before we came on here. Last year I got to celebrate my 75th birthday at the Governor's and and people who get to bury me at the end of the year can say the old man enjoyed his 75th and looked into the future eyes of people of yourself and other older people and I know that the world is just an exciting place. That's going to be awesome. I hope so. Yeah, well, I think... How how do we say we we trust the message of God and not know so? There is no alternative. Do I want to live in a world of fear, F-E-A-R, which stands for false evidence appearing real? We need to go and poke a stick at it. There's a beautiful whakatoki that says, all the fear and darkness of the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. And when we choose to be that candle, others automatically light themselves around us and fear and darkness wind to go to the corners. That is so true. That is so true. Mm. So so here I wake up in the morning and I'm not feeling good and all the rest of it. What do I have to do? Put my feet on the ground and put a smile on my face. I don't want it. And go out and feel the rain, feel the cold and actually realize how fortunate I am and I can contribute. Yeah, when I used to live on the street, I was fortunate there were people who still acknowledged that I could contribute. Yeah? And that's so true. It's so true. And, and if I've got some resources, why well, I'm not sharing them. Hey. I look forward to the time when churches and mosques and other holy places decide to take the doors off their, off their places so that people can walk in and out. Yeah, I look forward to a time when, you know, <clears throat> the big three players at the moment that we see globally and that it's here too are greed, fear and compliance. And if Māori have taught us anything is that we are not greedy by nature. We are, we are giving and sharing people. Yeah, And as for, for fear... Michael Jackson stole our line. Greatly outnumbered, little chance of success. That's the moment that Kiwis get up and play. And as for compliance, I don't drive on the left-hand side of the road because I'm compliant. I do it because it's common sense. Everybody else is doing it, so it makes sense. And it also means I don't get into trouble with the police. Little Irishman brought up by Māori is not going to comply for anything. As soon as someone says (laughs) I have to do it, I already know I'm not going to do it, don't I? But common sense says that we're going to do it. And I think now is the time, you know, People who are receiving, <clears throat> like the fellow who runs um, the milk company, what does he get, $153,000 a week? Now, that's greed. He, there's no way he can earn that sort of money, right? It doesn't make him more intelligent. It doesn't give him time in the day, yeah, especially when we've got farmers topping themselves and people. The same with the people who are, who are running our university or looking after our hospital. They can go on holiday for a month and receive $1,900 a day, but the cleaners who are on minimum wage, how long do they have to be out of my surgery or not cleaning the university before we have to shut the place down. And these are things that, as New Zealanders, we will address. Mm. Yeah, so it's not about being left-wing or right-wing. You need both wings if you're going to fly the bird. We need to have the same kaupapa. And our our kaupapa, as New Zealanders, is our ability to look after our diversity and celebrate it. Amen. Amen. I think after the 15th, it just highlighted the fact that we really need to do something 
And things are slowly starting to change. People yeah. are having more conversations. Yeah. And it's the reason why I set this podcast up in the first place. That's so wonderful. hopefully all of our efforts will go somewhere. Inevitable. Some, someday. Inshallah. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but um, and I really wanted to talk about the fact that you're a Muslim man as well, because yeah. if you saw Uncle Mac, you wouldn't suspect it at all. But uh, Brought up a, a Morihu who had a mother who was a Methodist and a brother who is a bishop in the Mormon church, and I'm a Muslim, so yeah, me, 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 me. See, <laughs> I love those lollies. <laughs> um, but it just means we have to have you back for another Kia round two and have Kia more corridor. Um, but thank you so much for coming um, today. I really, really appreciate and it. Thank you for your time and your effort. Matiwa. And thank you for everyone for tuning in to another episode of Headcast and Good Yarns. We'll catch you the next time. See Kia you later. Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.